The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. I'd like to tell you about a fantastic new book that just released from Hanover Square Press called Femina, A New History of the Middle Ages Through the Women Written Out of It by Dr. Yanina Ramirez. The Middle Ages are seen as a bloodthirsty time of Vikings, saints, and kings, a patriarchal society that oppressed and excluded women. But when we dig a little deeper into the truth, we can see that the Dark Ages were anything but. Oxford and BBC historian Yanina Ramirez has uncovered countless influential women's names struck out of historical records, with the word femina annotated beside them. As gatekeepers of the past ordered books to be burned, artworks to be destroyed, and new versions of myths, legends, and historical documents to be produced, our view of history has been manipulated, and women of the Middle Ages have been almost entirely written out until now. In Femina, Dr. Ramirez invites us to see the medieval world with fresh eyes and discover why these remarkable women were removed from our collective memories. Femina by Dr. Yanina Ramirez is available now. Pick up your copy at your local bookstore. Hello, y'all. It is Sally here, and I'm excited to be with you today. I hope you're having a good day. Mine's not the best, (laughs) but I'm about to talk about books, so it's about to get better. Possibly because I have absolutely no chill whatsoever, and it may be also because I love doing research, I have a tendency to dive into a topic that piques my interest. Like I can't just read one book about battling burnout or overcoming burnout, I end up reading five. So if you're anything like me, or if you just want to find new reads on a wide range of topics, I am excited to start sharing some pairings with you in a series we're calling Double Date where I recommend two of my favorite books on a particular topic, like non-monogamy or women's desire or horror. We are kicking things off today by going on a double date with two books about America's founders. This may not be the sexiest topic to start with, (laughs) but this is, I think, the first time that I ever noticed my habit of doing this. It was a couple of years where I was like, oh, that was interesting. I wonder what else there is about this. And I explored until I found some more. So I really appreciate both of these books for going beyond what was covered, at least in any of my U.S. history classes, and doing so in a way that was really engaging and interesting. I do like history in general. Like may be an understatement, if you know me. (laughs) I did used to watch the History Channel for fun growing up. So You know, not every double date (laughs) may appeal to you. You know, I'm offering it out there in case you want some 
fun new books to read. First up is Founding Mothers, The Women Who Raised Our Nation by Koki Roberts. This is a classic text, I feel like, at this point, because I've seen so many people recommend it over the years. It talks about a side of history that we don't usually focus on, which is the women. What were the women doing? And not just women like Abigail Adams and Martha Washington, who we generally hear about in connection to the founding fathers, although they are covered in this book as well, but also women like Mercy Otis Warren, who was a political writer at the time. And it's really about these women and the very significant roles that they had, uh, whether it was through their connection to a founding father or of their like just through their own work. I really, really appreciated this book. This is more of like a straightforward history book, but not like bland or uninteresting by any means. At least I didn't think so. And I think this pairs really well with You Never Forget Your First, a biography of George Washington by Alexis Coe. This was making the rounds a couple of years ago when it first came out. And for good reason, it is very entertaining. It's super easy to follow and understand. It provides interesting context for the founding of the U.S., obviously through the lens of George Washington, but also like what was going on at the time. What were the things that were happening around George Washington that kind of ended up with him being our first president? It debunks some myths. It's really, I love it. I think it's a really great book, even if you aren't super interested in history. And I'll note that the order of reading these books probably doesn't matter, but reading Founding Mothers first offered more context for me for what was going on peripherally in You Never Forget Your First, because it is more of that straightforward history text, it, it kind of like covers things more clearly. You Never Forget Your First has a very kind of different spin and tone and approach, which makes it all the more entertaining. And it just, it does kind of like take away some of that context. So if you are a completionist <laughs> or a nerd like me, you may want to read Founding Mothers first or another book about the founding of the U.S. Of course, these are both very white stories. It covers slave owners and plantation owners. I'm excited to dive back into this time period and read about other stories and perspectives. But for now, I will leave you with that double date of Founding Mothers and You Never Forget Your First. I'd love to know any books you've read and loved about those first few years in U.S. history. Or if you have a topic you want me to take a deep dive on, please reach out. Um, I love a deep dive. You can get in touch with me on Instagram, Twitter, or anywhere at Sally Simply. Until next time, happy reading. Allow me to introduce you to Madame Restelle by Jennifer Wright. Out now from Hachette Books. Madame Restelle is a sharp, witty, gilded-age medical history which introduces us to an iconic yet tragically overlooked feminist heroine, a glamorous women's healthcare provider in Manhattan known to the world as Madame Restelle. A celebrity in her day with a flair for high fashion and public petty beefs, Restelle was a self-made woman and a single mother who used her wit, her compassion, and her knowledge of family medicine to become one of the most in-demand medical workers in New York. Before the 19th century, abortion and birth control were not only legal in the United States, but fairly common. And public health care needs for women and men alike were largely handled by midwives and female healers. However, after the birth of the clinic, newly minted male MDs wanted to push women out of their space by forcing women back into the home and turning medicine into a standardized male-only practice. 
by unraveling the misogynistic and misleading lives that put women's health in jeopardy, Wright simultaneously restores Ristel to her rightful place in history and obliterates the faulty, fractured reasoning underlying the very foundation of what has since been dubbed the pro thought-provoking, character-driven, and funny and feminist as all hell. Madame Ristel is required reading for anyone and everyone who believes that when it comes to women's rights, women's bodies, and women's history, women should have the last word. Pick up your copy of Madame Ristel, The Life, Death, and Resurrection of Old New York's Most Fabulous, Fearless, and Infamous Abortionist by Jennifer Wright, out now from Hachette Books. Hey, hey, hey. I'm your host, Neba from Notes by Neba, and today I am joined by a very good friend of mine, Dr. Poetry. Um, she is currently working as a scientist over in Ghana, working on Black reproductive health. And if you're interested in hearing more about that, we've created a little episode and we'll be linking that in the show notes. But today I'm very excited to have her on the podcast to talk a little bit more about her spoken word work. Um, Dr. Poetry, I'm so excited to bring you back on here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Happy to share. Thank you so much. I know before we get started on some of your spoken word and your creative process, you have um, a tribute to ancestors. Um, please mm. feel free to, to share that here. Yes, thank you so much. So as a Black woman and a reproductive health scientist, um, my academic journey in health and science and wellness and global health is definitely guided by these beautiful le legacies of my, of my ancestors or seven ancestors who I feel uh, resonate with my spirit. And my philosophy about this is that historical memories shape um, not only health and wellness, but also the lived experience of both the patient and providers. Um, so as a health scholar, I always try to give um, honor to the ancestors that shaped me um, and held me up during the process of rigorous academic training. And so to set the tone for my own well-being, I highlight them and I'll tell you a little bit about them. So feel free to say their names um, with me um, as I talk a little bit about what they meant to me. I speak the name of Mary Turner. Mary Turner Mary is the Turner. first reported. Thank you, Ashe. Um, and Ashe means just a, a form of a, a call and response agreement. So Mary Turner, she's the first reported Black woman who was lynched by white men while she was eight months pregnant in 1918. And the story of Mary Turner is often forgotten in the discourse of maternal and child reproductive health. However, I choose to say her name in my research to honor the violence and the trauma of many prenatal stories untold in healthcare science. And so I speak Mary Turner. I also speak the name Henrietta Lacks. Um, there is so much that can be Henry said about the Lacks. Yes, Henrietta Lacks. Um, Ashe. Um, there's so much that can be said about the legacy of Henrietta Lacks or known as the HeLa cells. However, one of the connections that uh, resonate the most with me about the Gila cells and Henrietta was that she was a Black American woman whose cells were taken by white scientists um, without her informed consent due to um, racism, medical racism. Um, her cells went on to generate and uh, cultivate hundreds of drug discoveries, including like the polio vaccine. And throughout these treatments, she her cells also contributed to treatments and sickle cell disease, which is one of the, the diseases that I focus on, patient perceptions and patient experiences with sickle cell disease. And so in my research, I always try to honor the legacy and the journey of Henrietta Lacks, um, primarily because um, I hope that her family receives the genuine credit 
that they rightfully so deserve for these scientific innovations that have continuously elevated so many people with sickle cell and many genetic conditions. So I say the name of Henrietta Lacks and Mary Turner to ground this more, um, to ground this uh, moment um, for Black history as well as women's history. I have my personal, two personal ancestors, if you'd like me to. Annie Stanley Thomas is my paternal grandmother. She was a traditional healer, an orator, and a medicine woman. She worked as a field hand on a cotton field in rural Georgia. Um, she showed me her hands as a child. She said she used to pick barrels and barrels of cotton in the south of, um, in the rural parts of the south in Georgia. She only had a seventh grade education, um, and she encouraged me to attend Spelman College, which is a historically black college for women in Atlanta, Georgia. So in 2010, um, my grandmother's prayers uh, enabled me to be the first of my family to graduate from Spelman College with honors. And so I always think of my grandmother, um, who had only a seventh grade education, who worked on a cotton field. Um, but she was a, a lay health worker and a medicine woman. And I believe she transferred her spiritual knowledge to me and carried me over into the research that I do now in health and science. So I always speak her name, Annie Stanley Thomas. And last but not least, my maternal grandmother. My maternal grandmother, her name is Mary Miller Brown. Um, she gave birth to 13 children, which my biological mother is the third oldest. My grandmother was the matriarch of our family. However, um, she was also paralyzed from the waist down and she had type two diabetes. And as a child, I would spend summers at her home in coastal Georgia, where she lived on acres and acres of acres and <laughs> lots of acres of land owned by my grandfather. It was called the Brown Land. Um, so I do come from a family of land owners um, in the South. And during those summers at her home, I learned to be her caretaker. Um, so a lot of the grandchildren we would caretake for my grandmother, including preparing her foods and how to give her insulin shots. So it was the first time I had learned how to give someone an insulin shot in their arm um, to help manage diabetes. And so I would sit with my grandmother and read her my poetry. And my grandmother, I believe, is one of the first people that taught me how to be sensitive, um, how to be sensitive with people and how to be sensitive to the patients that I worked with. So I speak the name of Mary Miller it's really beautiful. I almost feel like the word sensitive isn't even right. It's just having empathy, right? It's mm. the empathy for your patient and understanding where they're coming from. And I'm glad we started this off with uh, a tribute to these incredible women who let, let, let them not be forgotten. We don't yes. come from, you know, nothingness. We all have roots, whether those are roots that might be more painful or roots that might be um, different from that. Um, yes. So I know you have uh, some spoken word piece as well yes. to share for us today. Um, yes. I'm really excited about this one, as I know it's more personal and is about mm -hmm. uh, your journey as a as a black woman. So yes, take it away. Yes, thank you so much, Nipa. Um, so this piece I wrote over ten years ago. It I believe has memorized me um, and has carried me through some very uh, interesting and trying times during my academic journey. And so this poem is called My Voice. Um, and then I share it with you as you may um, want to think of your own ancestors and say their names um, and uh, think of your own voice and where that where that comes from and how it connects to what you're doing in the present day. So here we go. It all started when I was four years old, 
with the five stands of home and in my baby brown hands, there was a microphone. You see, before I was born, I was predestined to be a griot, forming spoken word while being transformed into a human in the womb. And my pediatrician was confused because there was a virus growing on the inside of my body. Even international researchers from China couldn't define it. And this little black baby was growing a revolution attached like parasites to her immune system. You see, my grandmama didn't just feed me soul food. She fed me life. She looked me into my eyes at the age of four and declared that I was going to be a spoken word artist who would speak life. Told me to get used to holding a pen because from now until I die, I was going to write from the black child to a black woman. I'm still nervous when I speak, but I'm thankful because it strengthens my humility. There's a threefold trinity protesting an epitome holding black picket signs that read, thou shall not put your history on a shelf and thou shall always be yourself, see. And my poems are the Nile River and the Sahara Desert. And in my sentences, I have the faith the size of a mustard seed that can move and even rebuild Mount Everest. Born from the black warrior that lives inside of me to the strong tribal queens who carry me in their womb for nine months then wrap Kente claw firmly around their waist to raise me on their backs. Set me in Indian style so that I could receive a healing from their storytelling of his story and her story and our history. You see, I, I am my village's baby. And they made me their poet because they knew that in the 21st century, we would need a positive black representation that we're based our heritage on the truth. That's why it's important for me to empathize with my roots. We write the history books from my point of view, engrave my walls with empowering words of sojourner truth. I said, ain't I a woman? Ain't I a poet? My revolution is to bring back the griot inside of my people of color. It's extraordinary because we're all brothers and sisters from the same damn mothers. So the woman you see before you wasn't given toys to play with as a toddler, no. She was given a heritage in the black fist called fight the power and real activism does not have an age and diligence does not have an hour. So after this poem, I meant after this poem, you can either hate me or join me. But at some point you have to believe in the power of a child prodigy and you can't spell profit without the letters P-O-E-T. And if you have to think too long about that, please be advised of upgrade your literacy. I have rededicated my mission to the globalization of healing. Said I will lose my voice for the cause. Said I will use my voice for God. Said I will use my voice for this cause. So tell me, what are you willing to use your voice for? Thank you. Oh. I have, I have chills. I have shivers. My whole body is shaking. That is, <laughs> oh God, the ending really hits, really hits. That was really beautiful. I love that you've written this yeah. 10 years ago and it's still I know. so <laughs> freaking relevant today. Thank you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and you know, when you. when you mentioned the virus instantly, I, I think of, you know, COVID and everything. Cool. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just mm-hmm. like, oh God, the ties to, to current truly history is a cycle. Um, it is so true. And this is a, a piece that calls to break that cycle, um, mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. to break, break it into a, into a more positive way, um, yep. a more just way. I'm Yes, for a breakthrough, you know, and I exactly. think the way to, the way to um, break anything is to remember who you are. And we can only remember who we are if we remember our voice. We have an authentic yeah. voice that is ours, that's 
yes, connected to our ancestors, but it's ours, independent of our mothers, our fathers, our friends. It is our personal voice that is a part of the collective voice. And so um, in order for me to remember who I am, I had to remember that I have voice and it's not, it's not weak. It is staying strong in the test of times and yeah. That's really beautiful. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to hear more about like your creative process during this because I'm so impressed that you've written this a decade ago. I know. And it is still <laughs> so, so relevant. And like I, in spoken word and in poetry, there's always this balance between being, um, you know, like how precise you want to get versus like mm-hmm. how much you're just conveying sort of the the energy and the vibe of what's going mm-hmm. on. And I think that's a big mm-hmm. um, sort of way of keeping the pieces to be relevant in in times in the future as well, or even if applicable to times in the past. Um, so I'm yes. curious if you can tell us a little more about like your creative process and uh, like how yeah. this ties into like your your science work and your identity. Yes, I love that question. Honestly, reproductive health science is what I do. Um, poetry is who I am. It's the poet that became <laughs> the researcher, not the other way around. I believe that the reason why I am such um, a researcher who is, you know, ha- who has an empathy or sensitivity is because I recognize the texture of human life, and poetry allows me to see the texture in so many different formats. Um, um, also, I think of one of another ancestor, Louis Lattimore. I learned about him as a child. He's a scientist born on September fourth, which is also my birthday. Um, Louis Lattimore um, was a scientist, but he also wrote poetry. And so there's something special about this day um, where you're also a person who does science and does arts, hence College of Arts and Sciences. <laughs> but um, I'm a true, truly an artist and truly um, art is science, in my, in my opinion. Um, part of my process, though, is because science is so rigorous and structured and has such a rigid format that feels very clinical and cold sometimes the poetry yeah. for me is my I'm trying very hard to like put everything into boxes so that they can yeah. make good comparisons but the problem mm-hmm. is that only works for things that are very like quantitative and yeah. life and biology and people and emotions and psychology these are all like organic substances that so we're trying yep. to like force things into boxes that never were in boxes in the first place so I questioned the yeah Exactly, exactly. And I, I come from ancestors who are very oral. We come from an oral culture. Um, mm-hmm. And so we heal in circles. We heal through voice and narratives. We heal through the word. We heal through the power of words and the spoken word. Um, drum circles, um, indigenous, you know, rememberings. Um, so it's just um, the poetry for me is who I am. And it helps me to have an outlet, a healing process. It helps me to rise up when I feel uh, <laughs> troubled, I guess, through any type of um, you know element that I'm going through. I can always sit down and write a poem and it instantly um, lifts my life force energy. It's really mind blowing to me how much we've like switched from oral things into like text-based things like even videos mm-hmm. to some extent are like text-based mm-hmm. and uh the the role of like spoken word and like storytelling is so much lesser than the role of like books and stuff 
And mm-hmm. um, recently I was reading this science fiction story where uh, there's this other planet and there's these other aliens and the way in which they write down their books. Um, mm-hmm. When they read their books, they sort of put this instrument into the, the grooves of the book and out comes not just the story and the text, but out comes like the, the tone and the intonation, mm. the way the words are said, which really adds like just such a different like mm-hmm. energy to the whole thing. Like listeners, I'm sure yes. y'all also really felt that when Dr. Poetry was giving us her, her <laughs> word. And that's so different from Thank just you. reading it, you know, text on a screen. And so mm-hmm. um, anyways, on this alien planet, uh, there's this instrument that they use and they kind of see the tone. But every time that they run this instrument, it slightly uh, damages the surface of the book mm. and changes mm-hmm. kind of the grooves that the instrument is going in. Because every time you do that, you change like, you know, sort of the, the friction and all that stuff. And so a little bit of that is lost every time. So it creates this interesting mm. culture of like what happens when, you know, you have these things that are perfectly preserved and exactly as they were. But every time you play them back, it deteriorates the quality a teeny bit. Um, mm. just kind of how that goes and here luckily uh, we can listen to spoken word pieces as much as we'd like to um, they may be yeah. different every time but that may make them any less relevant or uh, any less uh, poignant and relevant to our lives um, yes so thank you so so much for for sharing that I'm curious a little yes. bit like, thank you. D- does all of your poetry and spoken word come from like your own identities I know you mentioned you had a piece about like women's history and other women Mm. yeah so as a matter of fact um so I've been doing uh spoken word poetry since I was a child like around what four or five um I memorized my first piece um my sister is a poet and my mom is a writer so uh, my sister my older sister she was practicing for a poetry contest and I was the little sister. I ended up memorizing her poem. <laughs> and then my mom realized, oh, snap, you could actually do poetry. <laughs> so um, they started, they just put me in all these church programs and workshops. And next thing you know, I was like this child poet that they were shifting to different, you know, um, <laughs> um, agendas. Like, And so, um, but I loved it. I loved it. And I just, I loved writing poetry and I realized that um, I had a gift for it. So when life really got hard, probably in like middle school, like dealing with like things like bullying and all types of stuff that kids deal with in middle school, um, colorism. I grew up as a very, you know, visibly black child, black woman, a black girl. Um, and so colorism was a big deal where I grew up, you know, light skin, dark skin issues. Um, and so I started writing and it was my, it was my voice. It was what saved me, I believe, because I couldn't really, I'm an introvert. And so I couldn't really speak how I felt to a lot of people, but inside my poetry, I could create a world that no one else could, could infiltrate. And I felt safe that, that that's my voice. And I think my poetry voice to me within myself is louder than my actual voice it's my strength it's almost like you enter into like a different version of yourself where yeah you know you are this person who's like giving these really impactful stories in such an impactful way so as we wrap up here I just have two quick questions Mm. um firstly this is feminist book club so I'm curious first Mm. to hear what does feminism mean to you and then secondly Mm. as a book club what are you reading right now that you would recommend Mm. to our listeners yes Uh. 
such great questions. Um, so first, I would say um, feminism has such a oh such a legacy, right? Um, I would say that I lean toward and I would say I am a Black feminist. And a lot of my research, I've used Black feminist thought. Um, shout out to Patricia Hill Collins, who wrote Black feminist thought, but it did not stop there. There was um, Anna Julia Cooper was one of the first um, Black feminists or womenists that I you know, learned about. Um, and Anna Julia Cooper, she wrote a book called A Voice from the South, A Voice from the South. And she was so powerful. Um, one of the quotes from her, her book, she said, um, where and when I entered, the whole Negro race enters with me. And so that quote, um, we interrogated like crazy back in undergrad at Spelman, but it was true because um, for a lot of black women, um, we didn't know which in intersection to go to, um, to go through. If there was a door on called color for colors only or whites only, uh, black women, which one do we enter? Or if it was woman only and colored only, like we could enter through both doors, essentially is what I'm trying to say. Um, so the intersectionality of being a black woman who could check woman and black, woman and colored um, at that time, um, there was no not many spaces for us um, to really grapple with what that meant for our daily lived experience. And so um, Anna Julia Cooper, there's Angela Davis that comes to mind. There's also um, many other scholars like uh, Kimberly Crenshaw. A lot of these scholars who wrote about intersectionality or matrices of domination um, and what it means to check multiple intersections and still show up. Um, that's what I would say I, I lean toward those political tenets as well as um, trying to be very thoughtful of censoring it in my work um, on reproductive health um, um, for Black women. Um, yeah, and what I'm reading now, oh gosh, I'm reading everything, <laughs> I say reading everything. I love to read. I wake up and I read <laughs> articles. I'm always, <laughs> I, so I subscribe to this um, this journal. Um, it's not a journal, but it's like a subscription called Mind Body Green. So I'm always reading articles in Mind Body Green first thing in the morning like wellness readings. Um, but for his books, I have a collection of books. Um, and one that really stands out to me, I'm reading through Sacred Woman a little bit um, by Queen Afua. I wouldn't say that it is easy read. It's one of those reads that you have to digest in doses. Um, it oh, is yeah. a book more about <laughs> divine feminine energy. Um spiritual midwifery. So I'm really interested more in like the mind, body, spirit connection to health and wellness lately. Yeah, studying the the the, the biology, but also studying the, the soul and the spirit and its connection to health. So a little bit across those books and articles and uh, uh, tidbits of knowledge. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds incredible. Um, listeners, all of these books and details will be kept in our show notes as always. Dr. Poetry, where can our listeners find you online if they want to reach out, tell you how amazing that was, <laughs> or just, just learn thank more you. about you? Yes, thank you. Um, I would love to stay connected. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Poetry underscore the scholar. And I'm also on Instagram, um, Dr. Dr. Um, underscore Shamika poetry queen. 
So I love to stay in touch. And my email, permanent email is shamikapoetrythomas at gmail.com. So feel free to reach out and let's talk. Thank you so much, listeners. And as always, see you on the next page. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well-read woman is a dangerous creature, creature. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 